0: This is the John Cass podcast. Thanks for listening real quick. I want to tell you about my thank you giveaway that I'm doing with Ian's pizza from Madison. So just as a thank you to everyone who's listened to the podcast and a thank you to those who reached out to me when I was let go from my job back in late July, I decided to do some fun things with this podcast. So I partnered with Ian's pizza and we are giving away $500 cash for the holidays just for listening to the podcast and collecting keywords and making a secret message, all right? So I'm very happy to say that I partner with Ian's to do this, this is episodes number, what are we on? Number seven and eight of 10 episodes for this whole um, secret message deal. So what I need you to do is listen up because I'm going to give you the keyword or keywords in just a second. You collect all those, you form a secret message, you send that to me at John Audius Radio on Twitter at JohnCast Podcast or on Instagram at JohnCast Podcast as well. All DM entries from any social platforms or accounts will be in contention for the final drawing process. And you should check out Ian's Pizza as well because buying an Ian's Pizza gift card is the perfect stocking stuffer. I think you should go do it. Ian's Pizza in Madison, in Milwaukee, in Seattle, and in Denver—they're all over the place. Go check out. Ian's Pizza. And if you happen to go to Ian's Pizza, one of the cool things we did (laughs) this week, shout out to Zach for uh, helping out with this. We've put up um, posters with the QR code to listen to the show, telling people about the $500 in the restrooms above the urinals. I think that is amazing. I think that is awesome. So if you're ever in an Ian's Pizza and you have to use the restroom, you might be looking at this podcast logo. But anyway, let's get to the Ian's Pizza keyword. All right. If you want any of the other keywords, they start with the Bull Ryan episode. Here's the keyword for today. Listening with an exclamation point. Listening with an exclamation point. Okay? Listening is today's Ian's keyword with an exclamation point. If you collected the other keywords, I need you to form a, a message here. And if you think you know what it is, you can DM me. You're probably wrong. All right. So anyway, those are that is rather the Ian's Pizza keyword. Check out Ian's Pizza and go grab a stocking stuff or gift card for somebody. Oh, and follow me on Twitter at John Radio because I'm giving away Ian's Pizza every week. Every week, we're giving away one lucky listener a $25 gift card to Ian's Pizza. All right, enough of me. Let's start today's JohnCast. What happens when a radio broadcaster gets let go from his sports talk job? Well, he tries to figure out what he wants to do next for a career. And in the meantime, joins the 4 million other podcasts on the internet and the John cast is born. Join me each week as I talk to guests I find interesting or entertaining from the world of sports, play-by-play broadcasting, or whatever else sounds fascinating to me at the moment. The John cast is what I'm doing until I figure out what I'm doing. Subscribe, download, and I hope you learn something along the way. Wayne Larrabee, what are you drinking this morning?
1: Got a little coffee going. I usually yeah? have chain drink coffee over the course of the morning.
0: Okay. Is that what you're usually drinking in the mornings? A a, a good cup of coffee? What do you put in there?
1: (laughs) I put a little uh, cream and sugar early going and then later uh, gets to black later in the day as I uh, wind it down.
0: (laughs) Okay. On a game day, what are you drinking on a game day? Because the play by play, uh, you know, lifestyle is when you're in the booth, you got to stick to certain liquids, I'm assuming, right?
1: Yeah. You know, it's usually coffee or water, coffee early on and then water as the game goes along. But, um, The other thing I do is I usually suck on a cough drop or two, one of the uh, Vicks Vapo golf cough drops, whatever they are. Cherry is my favorite uh, kind.
0: Oh, look at, see, look at the secret info. So I do play by play for Wisconsin volleyball and Wisconsin women's basketball. And there are times, Wayne, where I will, the bad move is that I've learned is like a cup of soda. That's a, that's a no, no, because then you, you know, it's, it's hard to speak sometimes.
1: Yeah, you get into the uh, digestive aspect of it, then it doesn't go down quite as smooth. And um, yeah, and the carbonation, yes. uh, it's nice when you're eating something to have that carbonation to help get everything down. But <laughs> during <laughs> the game, not so much.
0: No, not so much. I got to try the uh, the the lozenge. I, I think that's a that's a good move during like a, a timeout or something like that. Uh, so how was your bye week? Do you do anything out of the ordinary during bye weeks?
1: Yeah, actually, we went out west. We were looking for some snow and didn't really find any. Um, the the west we we, uh, we like to go out west. We like to go to the Rockies, uh, Park City, Utah, in particular, and um, you know just enjoy the mountains, that type of thing, summer or winter. Um, I grew up on skis in New England, so uh, it, it's a great place to go to, to ski because you fly into Salt Lake City and you're 40 minutes from the lift line, or as you fly into Denver. It's a shorter flight, but you're two hours from the uh two and a half hour, two and a half, something like that, where depending on where you're going to ski. So we went out west, um, didn't find much snow. And uh that's really a concern, not from a skiing standpoint so much, but from uh an ecological standpoint for the West. The entire west of the country is really stressed right now with in drought. And um, they need, you know, five hundred inches of snow. That's what we'd love to have for skiing, but it's really necessary. Uh, to replenish the the reservoirs out there. Uh, Lake Mead has never been lower than it is today and among other uh, major reservoirs out there. So there is a concern. Uh, This um, um, climate change is real. You see it if you do outdoor sports, if you um, make your living uh, with outdoor sports, the people in these ski towns will tell you this is really concerning.
0: Yeah, no, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So climate change is affecting some of those uh, ski resorts.
1: Oh gosh. Or areas, really. On West. Yeah. From Colorado, Utah, California. There's no question about that. Wow.
0: I did not know that, but I didn't know that you like to ski either. So you must be a pretty, I don't want to say accomplished skier, not like you won gold medals or anything like that, but, um, you've been skiing for a long time. It seems like,
1: yeah, I'm a recreation skier. I like to, I don't, um, ski the moguls or things like that, or do the backcountry skiing. I like the, uh, the cruiser runs and that type of thing. So uh, yeah, you know, it's it's fun. It's great and the great scenery up in the mountains. It's just wonderful.
0: That's awesome. That's that's very cool. So you got to do something fun during your bye week. Um, so did you always want to be a play-by-play announcer, or how did that uh, part of your career, you know, evolve?
1: Yeah, it it certainly uh, was something that when I was in high school, I, I kind of wanted to gravitate toward that. I enjoyed playing sports, but. I thought that long term, if you could cover sports um, either as a writer or as a broadcaster, and for me, it was always broadcasting, um, that would be great. That'd be fun to do. And, and it has. It's worked out to be a wonderful uh, career.
0: Hmm. Okay. Do you remember your first game you ever did? What was that? Was it in, was it in high school?
1: Well, no, it was actually uh, the first uh, commercial broadcast I ever did was a high school football game. I was uh, working at a local station out near where I grew up, and I went to college in Boston, to Emerson College, and I would go back on weekends and work at Great Barrington at a little daytime radio station. And um, that station I would just fill in on the weekends, r- rolling records, keeping the thing going, and that type of thing, from like noon till 6 or 7, whenever the station signed off. Um, but I also, when they, we got to the fall part of the year, uh, they did a high school football game. They okay. they did a game of the week. and. Um, It was interesting because the guy I was subbing for, uh, he had the the main guy, the sports director, uh, had a family wedding. And he couldn't make this game on this particular weekend early in September. And it happened to be a game at uh, my high school alma mater, uh, Lee High School. Is a game between Lee High School and Turner's Falls. We're sitting on a scaffolding above the stands. Um, The uh, Hank Reiner, who was the guy who took the photos, took the uh, video for uh, the team was up there with myself and one of my best friends, uh, was doing stats and it was just the three of us. Uh, and I, that was my first broadcast. It was a 13 to seven game. I want to say, uh, Lee beat Turner's falls. And, uh, uh th- that was my start. And it was, it was uh, great to do.
0: Wow. That's I, I remember my hometown. I lived in a small town in, in Southern Minnesota. It's called Delavan, Minnesota, but beside the point, I remember our old high school football field had a, like, um, a press box, right? It was like, kind of like you talked about just kind of this big, tall structure and, and the press area. Was it kind of like that, that scaffolding or was it? No, there was less... no,
1: that was just scaffolding. Uh, it oh, was okay. just, you know, scaffolding and a plank a plywood, oh, and three of us on it. Uh, we were maybe about, um, I don't know, 10 feet above the stands uh, thereabouts. And so uh, that was it. Uh, you know, but, um, no, it was a small situation, small town, small situation. And Lee had a good football tradition at that time and and it was fun to do it was interesting and fun to, that that was my first real broadcast
0: yeah it is that seems very unsafe by the way I'm just gonna say yeah just to step on three people on the scaffolding like that um so how did you how did you make your way to the pros because I know you haven't you didn't start you haven't always been doing Packers you've been doing a lot of things before that too so how did you go from that high school game and, and transition to the pros
1: well you know um I did a lot of things when I was in college that uh, were kind of uh, under the radar. Um, I used to go to the Boston Garden and uh, jump up into the hockey boxes, which were wide open at the time. And the Celtics didn't draw, fill the arena, but they had good teams. They had Havlicek and Dave Cowens and Jojo White. They would battle the New York Knicks. The Knicks were my favorite team growing up in the western part of Massachusetts. uh, Our influence was as much New York as it was Boston. So, uh, you know, I I used to follow those teams and I would go to the Boston Garden with a tape recorder and just broadcast the game up in the abandoned hockey booths. Um, This is long before there were sky boxes and every seat was filled and that type of thing. It was great. It was a great experience. I was able to do play by play, bring the tape home uh, to my dorm, listen to it and, you know, make some adjustments, that type of thing And, and essentially live the dream is what it was. And uh, from there, I I was able to put together a pretty good resume tape, and I got a job down in Texas doing high school football for a semester. I took a semester out of school to go down and do that, and that was an incredible experience. Um, You know, I went to Pampa, Texas, town of 25,000, where the two tallest structures in town, and this is up in the panhandle of Texas, about 45 minutes to an hour from Amarillo. Uh, the tallest structures in town were the grain elevator on one side of town and the football uh, stadium press box on the other. And 15,000 people would show up every Friday night to watch the Pampa Harvesters. It was a great experience.
0: Wow, that's amazing! So then that tape led to that job. Um, and, and you, you mentioned how you went back and you listened to it. Is that something how often do you do something like that? Because it looks like you're basically, for lack of a better term, you know, to bring it to the sports world, as you were just reviewing the film, right?
1: Yes, um. Early on, I did a lot of that. Um, I don't do so much of it now. Uh, My technique's a little different now. Rather than listen a whole lot during the season, I'll listen some, especially if I felt the game did not go particularly well, I will, you know, listen to it. Um, But for the most part, the best time for me to listen to my work is in like June and July when I've forgotten about the game, forgotten about what happened in the game, um, don't have a feel for it because when i listen during the week i can think back it takes me right back to where i was that sunday afternoon 3 days ago and and it's distracting you don't hear the game the way a listener is hearing it so when you you put it you know maybe you got it on your um uh, laptop or you put it in your car radio you listen to it and you're driving along you try to listen to the game as a fan would hear it and yeah. that i can get um, when i listen 6 months to 8 months after the broad, actual broadcast i listen to it and i can tell, okay, I didn't do this, or I, the listener needed to hear this, or we needed to do that type of thing. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how I do it now.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I'll, I'll listen back to my stuff every once in a while. Um, actually, I do it quite often. And I do it during the week. Cause, cause, I don't know, I'm in this mode where I always, I, maybe, is there, can you do it too often? You know what I mean? Can you go back, like you were just saying, and, and do it too much? Because I think sometimes I get a little nitpicky.
1: Yeah. Um, the one thing Marv Albert said this one time, he said, you know, you can go back and listen to your tapes, but you don't want to go back and beat yourself up to the point where you lose confidence in what you're doing. And so um, if it's a good game, if I feel like walking out of that booth, we had a really good game. I, I don't usually go back and listen to it because I can guarantee you, I will not think it is as good as, as it, I thought it was when I left the booth. I'll be able to pick stuff about a part about it and say, wow, that didn't sound right. That didn't sound the way I thought it did. Uh, the most I hear about, you know, I, I'll hear the the highlights, but um, that's about it for the most part. If it was a good broadcast, I thought it was a good broadcast. I won't go back and pick it apart. Um, it, maybe I should, but that that's not something I do. If I didn't feel like the game went well, I will go back and, uh, and listen to different parts of it.
0: You think as a broadcaster, you kind of have to be like a, an athlete where you have a short memory? Like if you screw up during the game or... Or if you, you bobble something or you, you didn't say something right, you just move on?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's a hard lesson to learn. And it's it's true. I think that's what you have to do um, in the game. And I remember I used to kind of keep track of, of mistakes that I was making it oh. along the broadcast, almost like it was a stat sheet. And, um, you know, that really what happens then, it's kind of like the problem we amateurs have in golf is you hit a bad shot. And it leads to another one and another one and another one, because whereas the good golfer or the pro hits a bad shot and immediately dismisses any memory of it whatsoever and hits the next shot. And usually the next shot is good. Um, But that's the same thing in play by play. I mean, yeah, you're going to screw something up. It's a live. There's no editing going on here. It's a live Three hour broadcast. So will things get screwed up? Absolutely. Will you misspeak? It's no question about it. And so a lot of times you don't even realize you misspoke. And no one else does either until you go back and you hear it on tape and say, wait a minute, it wasn't so and so. It was this other guy. And so that happens. Um, there's no question, but it's a three-hour ad lib. And I think what the listener is listening for is something that we we're getting too much into the technical aspect of it, whereas the listener just wants to hear the game, know the score, where the ball is, what's going on, that kind of thing. And and the smoother you can be, the better off. So if you make a mistake and you realize it, you either correct the mistake or you just go on and and uh, you know like it never happened.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. The listener just cares about <laughs> you know when they flip on the radio, they just, honestly they want to know the score first of all. Yeah. Um and you know who has the ball and things like that. Um, all right. So you get the Bulls, the Chicago Bulls job. You had the Chicago Bulls job for, for a while. What was that like?
1: Oh, it was great. I mean, um, when I first came in, it was like 1991, and they had just won their first championship. And uh, their announcer, Jim Durham, left, and he was doing uh, radio and TV. And they hired three different people to replace him uh, myself at WGN to do the over the air WGN games, Tom Doer, um, who did the cable games. And then Neil Funk, who did the radio, uh, he came in from Philadelphia. So um, we were there for about 18 years. So saw the good and the bad. It was great. It was a ex- great experience, especially with the Jordan Bulls. And and I did just regular season games because WGN was not allowed to carry uh, playoff games, but it was nonetheless a great experience to be around that. And I, I always wanted to be a basketball announcer, um, mostly on radio, but I, my the majority of my work and college basketball and in pro basketball was on TV.
0: Wow. So you got to work alongside, well, with Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player to ever play the game. What was it? Did you enjoy watching the last dance when it came out, uh, April of whenever that was 2020? Like did did that bring back some memories for you?
1: Oh yeah. Tremendous memories. All those people that were in that, you know, the security guards and everyone else, we were all very, uh, fairly close, um, in, in, you know, in terms of seeing each other, uh, friends helping out each other, that kind of thing. Um, no, it was great. I, I thought they did capture, and, you know, uh, I remember that season vividly, and there was a, uh, two things about that season. There was a, an NBA, uh, entertainment film crew with us everywhere we went. Okay. Um, and they were documenting the season. And then, there was also one of the great writers, in my opinion, uh, the two or three great writers of our time, David Halberstam, who um, is a guy who basically, well, he was the David Marinus of his day. Um, he was a guy who wrote um, history, politics especially. I got to know him a little bit I, it, from a reader's standpoint. He wrote um, uh, several books on, um, on the Kennedys and uh, Robert Kennedy in particular, his last campaign. Um, And then he wrote a book called October 1964. And it was a book on the World Series between the uh, St. Louis Cardinals and the New York Yankees. It was the Yankees last stand of of their great era uh, of Mandel and Maris and Ford and all those great Yankees in in that era. And it was the uh, Cardinals who had been one of the first teams the National League was the first team to really integrate. And the Yankees had integrated by then as well. They had uh, some um, black ball players on their team, like Elston Howard and and several others, Al Downing and and, and many others. But the Cardinals in the National League had been first to integrate, starting with Jackie Robinson. And it was an interesting concept. It was David looked at that World Series, which was one of the greatest World Series ever played. It was home runs and and uh, swings of momentum. It was a seven game series, just a a wonderful um, uh, series that the Cardinals eventually won with Bob Gibson uh, pitching that last game. But what David looked at was where this country was at that time. We were in the throes of, of, um, I guess, not a whole lot different from today, but the racial tensions in the country at that time uh, were were just um, unprecedented. And David looked at that series and saw that the Cardinals were the future. That's the way society was going. They were the future, and the Yankees were the past. The Yankees represented kind of the white past of America, and the Cardinals were the blended uh, America that we would eventually see uh, once we came through this very difficult period in the mid nineteen sixties. He was fascinating. So he was on this Bulls. uh, He was writing a book called uh, "Playing for Keeps" uh, with Michael Jordan, and he was chronicling that whole season. So when I wasn't doing a game. I was sitting courtside. I usually sat next to David Halberstam, which to me was a great thrill because we talked about not only the Bulls, but politics and and all the things I was interested in. I was a political science minor in, in college. And so uh, it, it was great. It was, That was a tremendous experience. One of the best experiences of that last dance season for me personally.
0: Wow, that's so cool. And you got to hang out right next to him and and pick his brain all the time. That That must yeah, have been pretty fun for pretty you. Cool. So you go from the? Did you go from the Bulls to the Bears?
1: I did the Bears first. Uh, okay. I came to Chicago in in 1985 for the 85 Bears, which was uh, an incredible team to follow. Good timing. Uh, and then uh, the Bulls job came along in 1991. Oh right, okay. And, uh, I, I did throughout that time a lot of Big Ten stuff, um, ESPN regional, ESPN um, college football and basketball. So you know, I was doing a lot of things in Chicago. And Harry Carey was in his uh, later years in Chicago. And a lot of times I would fill in on, on Cubs games. I did about three pretty much full seasons of Cubs in the mid nineties. That was um, a lot of fun too.
0: Wow. So you got the 85 bears. You got to call Michael Jordan's games, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers. Like do you ever sit back and go, Oh my gosh, like I've covered like the greatest of, of great in, in sports in pro sports.
1: Yeah, for a local um, regional broadcaster, I I was blessed with a lot of great talent to watch. That's for sure.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So, how does the Bears play-by-play guy come to Green Bay? Like, how does the bear? Like, how does that happen?
1: (laughs) Well, it wouldn't happen today. Uh, This is before social media. This was nineteen ninety nine, and there was talk radio and plenty of it. uh, Sports talk radio. But, um, you know, back then you didn't have the social media aspect of it. And uh, that has become really the powerful force, I think, in in media now. But um, back then, no, I mean, I had always grown up for some reason a Green Bay Packers fan uh, when I was a kid in Massachusetts. It was the early 1960s. And, um, you know, my favorite colors were green and gold. And I really loved the colors of the Packers uniforms. And and then they happened to be winning. So um, as a kid, eight, nine, 12 years old, by the time the Lombardi Packers were done, um, you know, I had become a Green Bay Packers fan. And I always said to myself that the two teams I followed passionately as a kid were the New York Yankees and the Green Bay Packers. And when I got into broadcasting, I said, if I ever had a chance to do either one of those games, uh, one of those teams. I would I would definitely jump at it no matter what I was doing, and so um, my career did not spin toward baseball but to football. To my surprise, I became a football announcer, and so um, I had always that always been my uh, thought was I was doing the Chiefs, and I remember I met my wife um, in Kansas City, and I remember telling her that hey, listen, if the Packers' job ever opened up, I'm going to be interested in it. So you know we knew from a long time ago. So here we are in Chicago doing the Bears, and um, it was a great gig, and the Bears people were wonderful uh, to me, and and uh, I was with WGN, and then the Bears changed channels and went to um, you know WMAQ, and so that was a little unsettling because WGN was such a stalwart at the time, but nonetheless, I went over and did two years there, but I had a three-year contract with an option for a third year, and that was at my uh, discretion. And so what um, the option turned into be was the Packers option. Jim Irwin, um, that th- third year, decided he was going to, you know, it was my second year at WMAQ. Jim announced he was retiring. And so there was the opportunity in, with my contract situation that I could be interested in that uh, Packers job and make a run at it. And that's what happened.
0: Wow. And then you've been doing Green Bay Packers games ever since. Is there, I want to ask you about the Packers, but is there a sport? So you said you kind of became a football announcer. Do you, do you have, is it football? Is your, is your favorite sport to, to describe?
1: I I like basketball, to be honest with you. I think NFL football is the best game. Mm -hmm. Let me put it that way. But I, I like basketball a lot. I, I think that, you know, it's, it's unfortunate the NBA has put such a low premium on its radio basketball broadcast, because that's really where I became a fan listening to Marv Albert do the Knicks on the radio. Uh, he was the most dynamic radio announcer I'd ever heard. And I, you know, obviously baseball's always been a great radio game. It, it's to this day is still um, a premier sport on radio, but the NBA uh, could have been really good. And it had for a while had some great radio people doing its games, but the emphasis is not there anymore. And a lot of teams don't even travel their talent and And it's just, um, it's become kind of a wasteland. It's a second thought, a second level. Um, Whereas baseball and NFL are still, you know, really, I I think those are sports that people um, relate to on the radio still, Uh Um, you know, rely on the radio in a lot of cases, especially with baseball where you don't watch every game. But 162 games, you absorb baseball and radio is a great way of doing that. Serious uh, NFL radio and, and Major League Baseball radio has really taken these local broadcasts and put made them national. I can listen to the Yankees anytime uh, when driving around Milwaukee, and I do. And so uh, it's the same way with NFL. We hear from people from all over the country and and around the world, and and that's what what um, the medium has become now. Uh, but NBA unfortunately doesn't put a lot of stock in their local radio and or national radio. ESPN is looking to get out of the NBA. Um, so it's, it's not good. And that's too bad because that's what I really always envisioned when I was in college at the Boston garden, doing those yeah. games into the uh, tape recorder. That was my dream to be a radio announcer.
0: Same here. I love basketball. I love doing play-by-play for basketball. And that's a shame what you're talking about the NBA. Cause I know some teams have like integrated their television and their yeah. radio call, which doesn't, when you, when you're a radio guy or a TV guy, like you, that, that doesn't match. You can't, they're different. They're so different. And It's weird knowing that we live in a day and age where we all have our phones and that we can plug these into our cars. And the, the, the day of listening to games, you know, uh, while you're traveling is still here. I mean, people travel all the time. Now it's easier than ever to get the game. So you would think that a league like the NBA would, would recognize that. Like you can really distribute your audio more than ever before.
1: And especially the NBA, which is the most progressive league. Understand that. Okay. They are cutting edge, especially when it comes to social issues in the really important issues of our time. The NBA is the league that's out front. That's the league you look to. They're the league that understands all of this stuff. The other leagues don't, but the NBA does. Uh, and I'm not uh, casting aspersions on any other league, but the NBA, when when something happens in this country, when there is a major social issue, uh, whatever it might be, the NBA usually, you look at the NBA, and they're probably handling it right. But when it comes to media, I don't know. I mean, they're putting a lot of, they're, they're actually, um, they, they do a great job on the national scene, I think, but their local radio, and even to an extent now where local TV does not get to follow the playoffs beyond the first round of the playoffs, I think that takes a little bit away.
0: Yeah. You know what else is, is kind of gets, and this, I know you have nothing to do with it, is if the Packers make the Super Bowl, like throughout the state, we can't carry the packers radio call of that you know what i'm talking about it's only yep. in the, the the home market and so i'm from madison and we're always like go pack like get to the next round get to the playoffs or get to the super bowl rather and then when it gets to the super bowl we can't hear the local radio broadcast that's frustrating
1: yeah absolutely um but you know it's it's kind of the way the world is those contracts that that uh, yeah. are uh struck with the national uh carriers and so no, I think you're right. And and here's my point with the NBA and, and with uh, all of this and, and um, the NBA taking games, local games from postseason and, and putting them only on the national network. Sports, especially from a team standpoint, is is personal and it's regional and it's, you know. Um, like one of the things baseball does, and maybe it's just because I'm not technologically uh, adapt enough at getting the local. But, for example, when my favorite team is playing on the road at Toronto uh, and I'm trying to listen on the radio to them uh, on satellite radio, I've got to hear the Toronto broadcast, which is, you know, Any other broadcast, but my team's broadcast is horrible, in my opinion, just awful. I don't want to hear it at all. So what what I'm saying is that sports to the sports fan of a team is very personal. And the more you take that out of uh, off the air, the more you take that away, I, I think, you know, you lessen your product rather than enhance your product. Um, now, there's sometimes when even local fans, you want to hear the national, you don't want to hear what the national guys are saying. You want to hear how your team or see how your team is being perceived nationally. Um, but for the most part, you want to hear your local announcers doing the games, the people you're familiar with.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Hey, um all right, let's get back to the Packers real quick. Where did the dagger call come from? How did how did that work?
1: <laughs> well, uh, that was a, that's an old basketball term, and it, it's really used a lot more in basketball than in football. Okay. Um, it's, you know, one of those situations where you're going back and forth down the stretch and somebody hits a three-point field goal. Now it's a two-possession game and they're five seconds left, and, and and the other team's not going to have enough possessions to, to tie or win the game. That's the dagger. That's um, right. How it came out was, well, uh, there was a Saturday night I was doing a Bulls game in Chicago. And the next day, I end up in Lambeau Field, and it's Packers, and um, it might be 2001 somewhere around there. It's Packers and Ravens, and it's a back and forth game. And finally, Brett Favre hits Bubba Franks at a fourth with a fourth quarter touchdown that puts the Packers up by three scores. And and I said, and there's your dagger, the type of thing. And it kind of grew from there, from that one mention of it in at the uh, in a Packers game, and that became. Uh, Kind of the definitive as to when the game was actually over, <laughs> type of thing.
0: That's awesome. Sometimes
1: it works, sometimes it doesn't, but most of the time, when when I've said the dagger, it's worked. It, it usually has been the end of the game. Although yes. I would admit this, people on Twitter get a lot uh, get very concerned, especially when the dagger comes out late in the third quarter, as it did against the Rams a couple of weeks ago. <laughs>
0: Oh that's fantastic. You got a very high percentage of the dagger call, right? Like you finished that off at a very high clip. And it's awesome to know what was the, you know, the the touchdown combo that that got the dagger call going because we all know that Leroy Butler did the first Lambo leap and now we know Favre to Bubba Franks, that was the start of the dagger call.
1: Yeah, cool. it was. <laughs> that's so
0: cool. Um, did you do you have favorite broadcasters?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean I got to tell you, I I really, for football these days, I I really enjoy Buck and and, uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. I I just think they bring, and especially Troy, who kind of dissects the passing game from a level that others don't. In other words, a lot of times we see, for example, a quarterback throw an egregious interception. He threw it right to the safety. There was no receiver around. And, And Troy Aikman will be able to point out that said, hey, listen, if, if this receiver had run the correct route or if he had gotten there, if he had not allowed himself to get bumped off that play, because that pass in the NFL is thrown before the receiver gets to the spot. The quarterback is counting on the receiver getting to the spot. In college, the, the quarterback is looking for the receiver to be at the spot before he throws the ball. In the NFL, the pass is made before the receiver makes his cut. And a lot of times, these egregious interceptions thrown by quarterbacks, so we all sit back and say, how could he have done that? Well, the, the receiver let him down. The receiver didn't get there. Maybe the receiver slipped on the play on his cut, which happens a lot, and leads to interceptions, that type of thing. So, you know, I, I get a lot out of uh, Troy Aikman, and, and Joe Buck, I think, is just the most versatile, uh, finest uh, broadcaster of our time right now. Um, on radio, I, I really like Kevin Harlan and his enthusiasm. Enthusiasm and in detail um uh, in his play by play uh certainly Michaels and Collinsworth are very good i do not like the monday night football uh presentation on espn it is way 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 overproduced mm. it, it's become it's kind of like an entertainment thing and just weird you know overproduced graphics and that type of thing and and i just think the three guys in the booth just can't you know talk enough um uh, so I, I'm not a big fan of the ESPN thing, but Sunday night football, Fox's main, um, uh, call to the game. I think are really the best and they, they're as good as anything I've heard over the years too. In my, my humble opinion as a, as a broadcaster, um, you know, so that that's, that's basically it.
0: What about the Manning cast? Have you been able to watch the Manning cast? What do yeah, you think about I have.
1: And you know, I was, as recently as last night I was watching it and, and I like it, um, but you know what I found, and I was watching it my I said to my wife um halfway through, I said, you know, I want to see the guests, I wanted to see Letterman, and he's a favorite of ours. And and uh, our youngest son was an intern on his show back when he was in college. Uh wow. but you know, so I wanted to see Letterman and we did, and 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 I enjoyed that aspect of it. But what I missed was, and I enjoyed the part of where they're kind of just it's like you're watching the game of those guys in the yes. living room. They're just kind of picking it apart here and there, and and they don't know who carried the ball, but they know the concept of the play and that type of thing, and and they know so and so fell down on that route or whatever, and and that it's it's very informal. But what I missed were, were the nuts and bolts of the play by play and the information you get. You know who got who was that pass thrown to? Um, you know how many yards did they get? Uh, what are they doing on third downs? That kind of thing. You know um, that I missed some of the nuts and bolts of it, but I like the Manning. It's very easy to watch and 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 kind of listen to, but I got a little distracted uh, doing it.
0: Yeah. I, I, the way I look at that is it's, it's kind of like a podcast that, and you're watching the game. Like you said, you're watching the game with those guys and it's, it's almost treated like a podcast where you're talking to guests and you're just talking and just commenting on the game as it goes on in the background. I thought it was really unique. And, uh, I think they do They do a great job. I wanted to get back real quick. You said something about um, Aikman talking about, you know, when a receiver slips or whatever, or didn't, he got bumped off the route and kind of pointed out those things. And then the quarterback throws the interception, which got me thinking, how do you explain Aaron Rodgers and his lack of interceptions? If, if just like normal things are going to happen throughout the course of the game, how come Rodgers is so good at not giving the ball
1: away? Well, he's just, I mean, and there's been nobody like him. Not Montana, not Manning, no one. Uh his touchdown to interception ratio, career-wise, is off the charts. Um, he is and I say this, and I understand, only one Super Bowl. He only won one Super Bowl, only been in one Super Bowl. And I understand this, but he's the best quarterback I've ever seen play the game in my lifetime. And I go back to as a child. Bart Starr was my original hero, uh, uh, you know, and, and I've looked at all the tapes and everything of Barton and every, all that, and there have been great quarterbacks. Certainly Joe Montana and all the Super Bowls. Tom Brady, how can you not say he's not the best of all time? But I'm talking about just a quarterback talent and, and, and the level that that talent plays at year after year. Um, there's no question, in my opinion, that, you know, um, he's the best. Aaron Rodgers is the best in my opinion. And, and I understand, uh, you know, hey, listen, one of the best pure pocket passers in the history of the National Football League played in one Super Bowl and lost it to Joe Montana and the 49ers. And that man is Dan Marino, one of the best pure quarterbacks of all time, one Super Bowl. Um, we, we assess Super Bowl, we assess quarterbacks, wins and losses in football and, and people who do that don't understand football is the ultimate team game and that you it helps don't don't get me wrong it, it's but it's not a prerequisite to win a super bowl you have to have a one of these um uh, premier quarterbacks one of these franchise quarterbacks um th- that's not a prerequisite makes it a lot easier to do so but there have been a lot of franchise quarterbacks who have been really great over the years that haven't won super bowls or have only won one super bowl drew Brees or two super bowls like the mannings you know, that kind of thing. Uh, there are very few Joe Montanas and Tom Brady's who may not be the most talented players ever to play their position, but uh, they are winners and they do some of the the little things, some of the intangibles at quarterback that, I'm sorry, next gen stats doesn't have a number for it, okay? The, there's so much to football. We're trying to make football statistics like baseball and it just doesn't happen that way. So, you know, um, it, football is the ultimate intangibles game. And the break of the game, the bounce of the ball, that kind of thing, um, it doesn't always go your way. Uh, but I think Aaron Rodgers, to me, is the best quarterback I've ever seen in my life. And uh, it has been, you know, John, the hard part for me is watching another football game. Like, I'm watching all these games during the bye week here, and I'm just sitting here saying, "It just, gosh, oh, my God, I was at the Iowa, wisconsin game uh because i'm during the mini bye after we played at arizona and watching the quarterback play i'm in the stands i have a grandson his my uh, uh son's father-in-law and so we had really a family thing it was just fun it was great Went a big tailgate the whole bit but i'm watching it in the passing game is just so painful to watch the quarter number one does the quarterback get the ball anywhere close to where it should be? And number two, it's only 50-50 that receiver's going to catch the ball. And it, it just was painful to watch college football anymore. And I used to make a living doing college football. But after you watch an Aaron Rodgers or any of these great quarterbacks in the NFL, it's painful to watch other, you know, and God forbid, poor high school kids watching them complete a pass it's like gosh you want to stand up like somebody just hit a 3 point field goal to win the game you know and cheer uh, it, there's a huge difference yeah. between college and and pro football it, it's unbelievably big and especially the quarterback position and that's why personnel uh, departments lose their jobs over quarterback picks
0: yeah that's crazy to think about too that fans in this state have had the 30 years of Favre and Rodgers and so yeah. when you watch other levels of play and other quarterbacks, I think the, the Packers fans in this state get very spoiled.
1: Oh, we're tremendously spoiled. And, you know, uh, there's all this talk that this is the last dance for this Packers team. And, and based on what I read, just from a salary cap standpoint, it is okay. based on where the, they're going to be next year with the salary cap. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, That has nothing to do with the thing that Aaron Rodgers and the team went through or anything like that in the offseason. It's salary cap related more than anything else, boys and girls. This is, that's why this season is so interesting and all the twists and turns. And I'm sure there are going to be some. Issues and things that come up over this next five weeks, but it's been fascinating to watch, and and this is really a good team to watch. They're they're fun to watch. They they remind me of the Bulls of the '90s or the Golden State Warriors of a few years ago. Uh, just the way they play the game, and uh, I, I just think they've been a lot of fun to watch. I'm trying to crave every moment of this season because I know, um, you know, I I don't know for sure, but I I I, I fear that this is the last year we're going to get this kind of quarterback and this kind of team.
0: Best reality show out there right now, the 2021 Packers. Um, what, what do you think about Aaron Rodgers' toe injury, and is that something that could linger throughout the season? I mean, obviously he's playing through it and pr- producing well, but I, to me personally, when I look at that, I, I get a little nervous thinking, well, that thing could, could affect his play in, in a number of different ways.
1: Yeah, I think it it does. And I think he's overcome that. Um, Will it get better? I suppose. But, you know, he's still using it. Obviously, Uh, he's going out there on Sundays. He's pounding it away. And, you know, there's no question. The the big thing is this. I I think you have to count on the medical team, especially in Green Bay. Um, They are very conservative and they're very good. Uh, Don't get me wrong. Very good. Um, Dr. McKenzie is is. One of the fine hey, if you had a problem, uh, you would want Doctor McKenzie to take care of it for you. And the Packers have been, you know, that's been one of he's been one of the unsung heroes over the years. I trust that if um, Aaron Rodgers could hurt himself further, the Doc McKenzie would not allow him on the field. Okay, so this is an injury he can play through. It's not going to get any worse, but it's probably not going to get a whole lot better either. And Aaron has to manage the pain. And Aaron Rodgers is tough. There's no question he's everybody as tough as any quarterback that's played, including Brett Favre. You know, Brett, unfortunately, did not have some of the injuries that Aaron had that, where he couldn't play. But um, those two quarterbacks, one, two things about those two guys, and I will say this about Michael Jordan, um, they were as tough as it gets. Yeah, they were superstars, but they were tough. They could handle physical pain and continue to perform at a high level. A lot of guys play hurt. A lot of guys play um, with injuries in this league. And and we all, when they step out there, we expect them to play at their best. And most players are not able to do that. Uh, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, Michael Jordan are three guys I can tell you. Walter Payton would be the fourth that I've seen in my lifetime and called their games where I knew they were not 100%, and yet they played like it. And so that's just a credit to them as individuals. But I can guarantee you this is going to linger. Um, it reminds me of the calf injury that uh, Aaron had, uh, I want to say 2016. They took into the playoffs and, and that type of thing. So um, he'll play and he'll play at a high level, uh, but certainly it will affect him as the season goes along.
0: What do you think happens with this team once David Bakhtiari, Zadarius Smith and Jair Alexander come back? It just seems like you're just waiting for all these like all-stars to come back. And all of a sudden, it could, it could be even better things for the Packers this year.
1: Well, we're hoping they come back
0: yeah uh, that's if, the yeah. thing
1: um yeah. and here's the thing that if they do okay and there's no guarantee on any of them but if they do all right they're going to come back and they're going to eventually get into the starting lineup and all of us are going to be sitting there saying okay back to your pro bowl form back to your all pro form and it's just going to take time especially David Bakhtiari the injury he had right. Zedarius Smith has missed the whole year with a back you know back injuries I know as a golfer. Hey. It's day-to-day. I don't care. You're never 100% with a back injury. It's day-to-day. You get out of bed and your back hurts, okay? Um, And, you know, Jair Alexander with that shoulder injury. uh, I remember Tremont Williams, 2011, trying to play through a shoulder injury. Played most of the season. Not nearly as good as he was the year before when he was healthy. Um, It takes time. And so these guys are going to come back. We're going to expect them to be what they were before their injuries. And that is not the uh, that is uh, th- that's foolish. We can't we can't do that, but we will. If they're in uniform and they're starting, we're expecting them to play at a pro bowl level. And I don't know if that's going to happen. I hope it does. And will will their presence on the field be better than what's out there right now? Probably not at the outset, but eventually, okay. you're counting by January if they can get into a few games in December. By January, you're expe- expecting that they'll play at a level that's higher uh, than what, what the Packers have on the field right now. And I think that's that would be the case. And that's the best case scenario. Mm,
0: yeah. Yeah. So there's that potential there that this team could just get that much better than they already are. Once once some of those players, if some of those It'd be
1: players. a nice addition. Yeah. For the playoff yeah. run and something, by the way. They'll need. Okay, they they've done a great job with all the injuries, John, of getting through this to a nine and three record as we speak today. There will be some more ups and downs. Don't get me wrong. But um, the fact is, uh, they need they're going to need a little more in January. Okay, when the playoffs get here, they're going to need a little more and hopefully a little more is uh, David Bakhtiari eventually starting. um, Is that area Smith, at least in a pass rush situation? And, you know, Ear Alexander being able to play at, at maybe 80 percent with that shoulder injury. You're hoping it can be at least that good. And that's going to give the Packers, though, that would give the Packers a tremendous boost going into a playoff situation where they're going to have to knock off the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And make no mistake, OK, the New England Patriots were impressive in what they've been doing. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the best team in the National Football League until further notice. What we're all hoping is that the Green Bay Packers are further notice in January.
0: Uh, final question for you, Wayne Larrabee, because you've talked about, we've talked about all these superstars and we've mentioned it before. And you mentioned Michael Jordan playing through pain and Farb and Rogers. Um, so of all these Walter Payton, of all these great athletes you've seen, is there a game that sticks out the most to you where you were just like, I can't believe I got to watch this guy do that.
1: Oh gosh. Um, Maybe a couple of them. I mean, you know, uh, geez, I I don't know. I mean, (laughs) there were so many game winners and things like that, uh, you know, with with Jordan. And um, I caught the tail end of Walter's career, his last three seasons in the league. Um, You know, Brett Favre, I'll never forget a Monday night in Denver where (laughs) the game goes to overtime and Favre. And one first play of overtime, it's Greg Jennings over the top on a touchdown pass to win the game on one play. Um, Aaron's had some incredible uh, come from behind, you know, wins, uh, you know, the pass play to the, the, the opener, I want to say it was 2018. Um, you know, opening night, the bears are killing the Packers. Khalil yeah. Mack intercepts uh, uh, a pass and returns it for a touchdown. Rogers had left the game. He comes back. He eventually hits Randall Cobb on a touchdown pass. Even before that, um, the uh, I'll never forget the de the, the facto, uh, I want to say, after the 2013 season, NFC uh, North Division championship game between the Packers and Bears in Chicago. The winner will win the division and have a home field advantage in the first round of the playoffs. At Chicago, it's back and forth. The Packers are on a drive, trailing in the fourth quarter. I think they had at least three fourth-down conversions And here they are in in Bears territory, and Rodgers takes the snap and rolls out to his left. And John Kuhn comes off his man and makes a block on Julius Peppers to spring Rodgers around the end. Meanwhile, Randall Cobb is running out there in front of him, blown coverage ahead of the field. Larry screams, Cobb's open. (laughs) And then finally, Rodgers sees it and throws the pass to him to win the the, uh, division championship. That That's probably the most vivid thing. Obviously, the Super Bowl was great, but those are, you know, when you look at one play type things, uh, those are the ones that come to mind.
0: Wow. And by the way, everything you, we, you talk about quarterbacks and, uh, you know, the kind of the credit they deserve, that play you just described, it took John Kuhn, it took Randall, Co- it took a lot of things to happen to make a memorable play, which kind of gets to your point about the ultimate team game.
1: Yeah. And and so we put so much of it on the quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in some cases, rightfully so, but for the most part, no. It, football is the ultimate team game. And, yeah, a great quarterback, don't get me wrong, goes a long way, all right? You, you want a great quarterback. Uh, it's, it's the most important position on the field. But you better be pretty good at the other positions if you're talking championship.
0: Yeah. Hey, uh, one thing I did also want to mention is the Play-by-Play podcast. You have that out with WTMJ. Yep. Uh, you recently had on the author of You Are Looking Live, How the NFL Today Revolutionized Sports Broadcasting. Is that their latest episode, I believe?
1: Uh, yeah, that was this during the bye week. Yeah, During the
0: bye week. What, what, what do you like awesome. doing? Why do Why do you like that uh, podcast so much? And, and what's the most interesting person you've talked to?
1: I, I love the podcast because I have this thing called a back page that I can get on and just I can just talk like you and I are. I can yeah. just take a theme, take something. I, I usually have you know, especially with you know, diving into tapes and numbers and all this other stuff. I usually have ideas beyond what I'm doing in my work, and I can basically sit down and either tell a story or make a point about something and I'm not getting cut off after 60 seconds because we've got to go to traffic and weather on the ones or whatever goofy thing you have to do on, on talk radio. Um, you can delve into it. And, you know, that's the thing I like about the podcast. You could talk to people, you could, you can get your point across. And um, you know, somebody mentioned to me one time, say, so, you know, on that play by play podcast, the reason I like it is because it, it's more of you, you know, yeah. it's not, you as the play-by-play guy for the Packers or whatever game you're doing, um, it, it's you as a uh, sports person, sports fan, uh, able to express a view, and, and you you can, you can be more personable. It's more of who you are, and some people like that, some people don't. And But, you know, you're not playing a role. You're playing yourself. That's what I like about the podcast. Um, the guy I enjoy having on the most is Hub Arkish. We're going to have him on this week. Um, he and I did a, a football show called Pro Football Weekly and actually syndicated show for 25 years. It was great each week of the season to talk football with Hub. He's he's the best in the business. Um, and, you know, I I a dear friend uh, over the years in Chicago. And so I enjoy having him talking football with him. Um, but the podcast has been a lot of fun to do. And, um, you know, I, I hope that in the future I'm able to continue to do that.
0: Yeah, very cool. And people can find that podcast. Uh, I think you tweet out the links, right, on your Twitter.
1: Yeah, it's, and, and wherever you get podcasts, but yep. also go to the WTMJ homepage too. They have it there.
0: Awesome. Wayne Laravie, I really appreciate you taking the time today and sitting down and talking with me. Thank you.
1: Oh, great being with you, John.
0: Very fun. Very fun. Wayne Laravie of the Green Bay Packers, the radio voice of the pack here on today's podcast. All right, a reminder in case you missed it, let me bring up the uh, keyword for today. The Ian's Pizza keyword for today is, as I frantically scroll, oh, here we go, listening with an exclamation point, listening with an exclamation point. There you go. If you want to find any of the previous Ian's keywords, just go to the, uh, we'll start with the Bo Ryan podcast. Okay, go check out all the podcasts. They're fun stuff, talking to a lot of fun and interesting people. And also, if you are on Spotify, you can um, turn on notifications, and every time there's a new a uh, podcast that'll let you know so you will never miss a keyword or never miss an interesting interview with wayne Larvie. we'll have another podcast this week but once again listening exclamation point and check out ian's pizza they've got gift cards for the holidays perfect stocking stuffers for those people on your christmas list and don't forget to follow me on Twitter at John Audius Radio, J-O-N-A-R-I-A-S Radio at John Cast Podcast, and also on Instagram at John Cast Podcast for all the latest happenings there and we'll get all the links. And if you retweet uh, some of the episode links there, you'll see which ones they are. We are still giving away $25 gift cards to Ian's Pizza just for simply retweeting and winning that retweet contest. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll be back once again. Thank you. Goodbye.